All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Adelics? What the fuck, Tuckians? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Uh, we did something special for you this week, folks. It's a new episode of the Mark and Tom show that went up yesterday. It's another hour of me and the amazing Tom Sharpling from the best show just hanging out in a hotel room trying to figure things out. Uh, we haven't done one of these in almost four years, so if you missed it, go check it out. If you're subscribed to WTF, it's right there in your podcast feed, and you can always get it at WTFPod.com. The previous three Mark and Tom shows are now available on Howl Premium. Go to Howl.fm and use the code WTF to start your subscription. This is the fourth installation of the Mark and Tom show. Mr. Sharpling and myself, a socialized infrequently but when we do we try to get we try to do it we try to get in it and do the talking and try to work some stuff out i i do call him on the phone occasionally when i need to uh to get some details about records and things he's a he's a big record guy and he's one of the funniest broadcasters alive mr tom sharpling is from the best show you should check that show out too but it's sort of like um it's a lot of mutual respect between me and tom as as guys who who donned the mic, and uh, and we have a great time. Very few people make me laugh as much as Tom Sharpling does. You should get that box set, the Best Show box set with him and uh, John Worcester. I it, I have it in my iPod, and it comes up randomly. Hilarious. He, he truly makes me laugh. And how great is it to hang out with people that truly make you laugh? I laugh a lot in here. I do laugh a lot in here during this show sometimes. It's one of the great perks. There's a lot of amazing perks to this. Sometimes I go out and do these keynote uh, speeches. I'm no TED talker. I'm no wizard. I'm no wearer of the uh, strange ear mic. Uh, I do not uh, uh, kind of deliberately walk from side to side on a stage reading off a teleprompter with a presentation, but occasionally I'm asked to tell my story at certain types of digital conferences and whatnot. And I flew uh, Monday night, Monday afternoon, I flew to Minneapolis, Minnesota and uh, had dinner at a place called Hot Dish and it was very good. And then I went over, uh, saw my, uh, my old pal Gail from college and then I went over to Acme. It was Monday night, they had an open mic going. I dropped in, it did about 10 minutes rambled on and ranted a bit about the political situation because that's uh that that's happening now and then the next morning i woke up and at 9 20 i got on stage in front of about 600 people it gives me a weird appreciation you know i go up i tell the story of the podcast i play some clips i show some uh i show some pictures of people that have been on and and uh you, you know i everything that's happened to me in here in this garage we you know brendan and i my producer and business partner had no intention. We didn't. We're not business people. I'm. I'm a fucking comedian that has uh, his head, you know, in a million places usually, and I can barely keep my schedule straight. And Brendan's a very organized, very uh, brilliant producer. But we just work. We had. To, we had no idea how to run a business. So now I have to sort of backload the idea that I kind of knew what I was doing. But the truth is, I don't do that. I just go up there and I riff through what I do and, uh, you know, I try to just be honest 
And uh, it's a good story, I guess. And they paid me money for it. So that's my secret life. It's something I, I wanted to know how to do. It's a nice gig. Make a little extra scratch. And, uh, you know, enter a world that I don't know about. And a lot of people work in, in, in office and business situations. And every time I do one of these or I go into one of those type of situations, I realize how, you know, I've not done that. And, and uh, it's, like, it's like a different planet. It's like planet real job. And uh, my hat's off to you if you, can, uh, if you can pull that off. I have some gigs coming up. Uh, well, I have one tomorrow at the University of uh, California in Santa Barbara at Campbell Hall. I think there's a few tickets for that left. You can go to WTFpod.com uh, for tickets. I've got shows coming up at Carnegie Hall, obviously, in November. I'll be in uh, Chicago in December. i got Nashville coming up and a bunch of other dates that I'll be a little more emphatic about as I get closer to them. But uh, on the show today, we have uh, the uh, comedian and, uh, and road warrior, that is Rich Scheidner. Uh, he's, he was a, a, a big comic in the 80s. He's written for television. Now he's written a book, Kicking Through the Ashes, My Life as a Stand-Up in the 1980s Comedy Boom. He's a real deal guy, good stories, good to talk to him. Anthony Bourdain is going to stop by here for a few minutes. He already did. We had a little uh, conversation about his new cookbook and also about uh, the Laura Albert episode a bit that he didn't listen to, but was a bit worked up about. Yeah, so that's all going to happen. Now, I wanted to read this email because there's some things about the, that happen because of this show, and I've talked about it before that I never anticipated, but I get moved. I get moved because, y- you know, you can talk about politics, you can talk about pop culture, you can talk about whatever you want, but sometimes when you just talk to other people, the impact is profound, and you know one of the great joys of my life, uh, if I can have them, and it's hard because I can't tell the the difference sometimes between a feeling of joy and gratitude and just sort of uh, discomfort and sadness. But when I get an email like this, I realize that that something happens in here that provides something that I could never have planned or imagined, and. Uh, and I, I go to my email box a lot and I get choked up. It just says in the subject line, thanks, man. Hey, Mark or guide slash lady who reads Mark's emails. I really hope this email gets to you. My name is Clint and I'm a fairly new listener. I was listening to your episode with David Crosby and when you were talking about people acting condescending towards famous artists or actors, I had to email you and say thanks. Your hard work to put together the show plays a huge part in saving my life every day. I'm 26 in early recovery and working the program as hard as I can. Booze was my real demon, but opiates, coke, and just about everything else had its way with me too. I've put together nine months and been working the steps, and I just finished going over step 12 with my sponsor. You and your show come to mind when I think about people working the 12th step for me. Your show offers me conversation that keeps my brain away from the obsession. You and your guests make me laugh and cry. I can feel again, and it's crazy. I feel alone so much of the time, but when I listen to your show, especially when you talk recovery, I feel like I'm sitting there with people who finally get me, people that really care and have the deep understanding of pain. My addiction brought me to a suicide attempt and rehab last December, so my life was pretty dark. Before the drugs and booze became everything, I played the guitar, loved film, music, vinyl, reading, and just learning, but that overwhelming loneliness and despair let 
the booze and drugs take over. Now I'm doing all right and getting back into those things. Your efforts and your show have opened that world of art back up to me. I listen to it when I'm feeling good and anytime I'm in those darker moments when I really want to use. Before I know it, I'm thinking about things that matter to me again, even when I can't figure out why the hell I'm not dead and what the point of going on is. I find myself laughing out loud to myself, which is nuts to me. It'd be cool to hear from you in some way, but I really just wanted to say thank you and screw those people being condescending towards your work. It saves my life and shows me that life is worth living. Thanks, Mark. Clint. Well, there there you go, Clint. You're hearing from me, and thank you for sending that. It makes me feel like I'm doing something important, and uh, I think that's something we all would like to feel. Not only important, but you know, helpful. And, I, and, I, and I'm glad you're doing well. Congrats on the nine months. So right now, I'm going to uh, share my chat with Anthony Bourdain with you. I, I did a long one with him years ago in a strange hotel that was owned by Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn when I was doing a live WTF there or something at the Bell House. But it's uh, been a long time since I, I sat down with Anthony, and um, he's always something. And his new cookbook is fun. It's called Appetites, a cookbook. It's available next week, October 25th. This is me and uh, Anthony Bourdain. It might be off topic, but if at some point during this conversation we can talk about the JT Leroy doc that just came out, sure. or your previous guests. And, Why, you uh, got a problem uh, with it? I got a serious fucking problem with this. Well, I mean, I, I, I've gotten some of that feedback. Yeah. Did, were you there for the... Uh... Uh, I was a tiny minor minor character. I mean, the, she called me up as JT back in the day and tried to pimp out some movie actress yeah, to me right, and get right, me interested. And right. I just said, at the time, I, I think I said, I don't know who you are, but you're a good writer. But a lot of my friends are really fucking hurt by this person. I'm mean, right. really devastated. Right. Their careers yeah. messed up personally. Right. I, I just think it's really a fucking shameful thing to give this person a second bite of the apple. You know, I mean, people, friends of mine were really, you know, hurt. And 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 I mean. You know, people who are already cynical, and and they hear from this, uh, you know, they read this writing, which was which was often quite beautiful. Yeah. And uh, in many of their cases, I mean, these are people who had had unhappy childhoods and risk, and you know, really unhappy childhoods. Sure. In some In some cases, who responded to this lost soul who started calling them and, and talking about a life, uh, you know, uh, as an abused child, right? Uh, in poverty. Yeah. Uh, addicted to drugs hustling uh, for a living in the streets of San Francisco, AIDS. I mean, you know, and, right. and they responded as human beings. Sure. And when that faith was, you know, when the story came out, yeah. rather gloatingly, I have to say, uh, you know, a lot of their faith in any other story. I mean, I'm talking about publishers and agents sure. and people who just, they were, they personally, of course, felt very foolish. Right. Uh, but, you know, they made this leap of faith. And sure. They did not have that faith anymore. Now that's uh, you know they're a lot harder and a lot more cynical about the world and hurt. Um, well, I think the the I, I I understand what you're saying, but I also like it seems like that person that Laura Albert herself was sort of uh, you know fucked up, lost. I don't buy the. I mean, you know, m- many people have had a very unhappy childhoods. Sure. Uh, they don't conduct a really massive and long running con like this, enlisting very successfully enlisting multiple players right you know the per- the, the 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 kid who played uh, the JT part uh, the husband uh, all of these people she managed to keep them on board for this long running scam for a long time 
while orchestrating multiple conversations with people yeah and and somehow remembering to record the conversations and archive them for later use so you know well, she I don't... recorded and archived everything she's kind of nutty like that but i i mean i understand what you're saying and and, and it and it's definitely noted and i certainly felt that during that conversation that i was being worked a bit but i also was sort of taken by the the, the sickness of it which she'll cop to. I don't know if she'll cop to being a sociopath. How about copying or hurting people, like really badly? Right. You know, and yeah. playing on their vulnerability. I didn't get. I didn't faith, feel that. That's true. Their, yeah. their, you know, a little some remorse. Yeah. I would imagine there are a lot of very upset people out there. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, you look well. Shifting gears. <laughs> I, had, I just had uh, four weeks of doing pretty much nothing. Uh, oh, really? Where'd you go to get uh, that fucking tan? I went out to Long Island. I, you know, I spend most of my life uh, on the road going right. faraway places. So Where on in vacation. Long Island? Uh, Southampton. It's the perfect uh, Hampton for me because nobody knows me. It's all Republicans and, and, and golfers <laughs> <laughs> and people who don't give a fuck who I am. So I don't get any dinner invitations. Nobody asks me to benefits. Nobody says hello. Nobody cares. Do I, you have I, a place out there? Uh, no, I, I rent a place and I let a nine-year-old, my nine-year-old daughter, just make every major decision of my life for the entire month. Oh, I mean, that's sweet. Where are we going? What are we eating? Yeah. What is daddy cooking? Oh, really? It's all her time. Yeah. Are you still with your wife? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, 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 you know, it's funny because, you know, I've got this family, fam- I mean, I guess it's sort of a family cookbook coming out. Yeah. And I mean, I have a very dysfunctional family. I right. Mean, I, I have a, you know, my, I haven't, my wife is a, basically a professional fighter. Right. And, oh, that's uh, right. I remember. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen her out of a rash guard in five years. We live like pretty much <laughs> separate lives for the last five years. Yeah. She spends her time uh, figuring out new ways, uh, practicing new ways to destroy the human knee, and I'm on the road 250 days a year. So it's Eating. it's not a Barbie and Ken. Uh, <laughs> right. It's no. It's sure. uh, <laughs> appetites. A cookbook. Now, so what, when I was looking through it, it's got your. You know, obviously, it's got your tone. The sort of fuck you tone. This is what I eat. Mm-hmm. This is how you eat. This is the good shit. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, when you're given that everyone knows that you travel all over the world and you eat everything, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what was the breakdown? What was what the original list look like? Um, honestly, it it's mostly stuff that m- most people could cook at home. I mean, so that re- was really it, the it reflects the, the fact that when I'm home, I become this sort of like batshit, over aggressive, like you know, insane yenta chasing my daughter around, yeah, saying eat, eat, yeah, and, yeah. You know, I make her school lunch and I right. cook her for her for dinner. So there's like meatloaf and macaroni and cheese, and, right? You know, strategies and tactics of uh, you know how to get through Thanksgiving and Christmas without you know senseless butchery. Well, that was right. That was cool. That there because there's a whole. Uh a whole chapter on just Thanksgiving. Well, I, I was in the restaurant business as a chef and a cook for 30 years. I cooked a lot of Thanksgivings and Christmases. Right. You know, I, I, I've learned how to be organized in such a way that, you know, you might actually spend some time at the table on Thanksgiving and Christmas and I have a brain hemorrhage well, that's stress. What I do that. I go, I fly to Florida to cook the whole thing. The whole right. thing. I do the whole thing. I got it down to a system. Right. But I only, it doesn't, looks like you, in yours, it's a three-day prep. Yeah, I, at a relaxed pace over three right. days, I right. mean, just like in a restaurant. Yeah, you know, I take care of business in a certain way. I don't, you know, in restaurants we don't do stuffing inside the turkey. It's no, you unhealthy. Don't. Yeah, and I don't it's do stupid that. Anyway, yeah. um, and we sure as hell don't, you know, go out to the table and try to carve, you know, equitable portions. Carve it of, all before. Of dark. Well, no, you, you basically what I do is I, I make a stunt turkey. Right, which like, means what? Oh, so like a display turkey, you know, <laughs> yeah. a smaller one. Yeah, you know, with little booties on the feet, right, and right, some then. stuffing inside, sure. and I sh- bring it and show it to everybody, and they go, "Ooh, ah, it's beautiful." Then I go back in the kitchen where I've already roasted a big motherfucker. Yeah, which I've basically kind of taken off the bone, carve, and I can slice it in a nice dominoes in yeah. seconds and throw it all out That's there. That's what I, look I like do. A genius. Pull yeah. the pull the breasts off. Yeah, slice it like that. Yeah. Yeah, and instead, you know, you're wrestling with this thing well, out for, at the table, for, stabbing for, yourself. People are screaming, fighting over the yeah. chicken. I mean, look, 
generally holiday, the murder rate spikes around the holidays. Sure. Uh, all across uh, so America. So you're trying to save sure. lives? Is that what you're telling I'm, me? I'm trying to save lives here. <laughs> There's a lot of underlying, you know, like long simmering arguments when you sit down at the table. The the possibilities for mayhem sure. are, are, are high. high yeah. So you want to make sure that, you know, yeah. everybody gets a, enough white but, and dark. But, right. But we should also make note that you can forego the stunt turkey if you don't have the oven space. Uh, or you can just cook, cook them in sequences. Sure. You know, because... What's the best part of Thanksgiving anyway? It's leftovers. It's a leftover. So, you, got a whole so turkey. if you have a little extra turkey, it's no big deal. I mean, yeah. it's all about you sitting there in your undershorts the next day eating a, a turkey sandwich. What I was surprised, though, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to get nitpicky, is that like I, I had a, a situation in a restaurant the other day where I was going to order a chicken sandwich, mm-hmm. right? Chicken salad, right? right. And uh, I, I don't like chicken salad if it's not made from like an actual you know roasted or boiled chicken with the dark meat. But right. you just go right to the breast. And it bothers right. me a little bit. Are you, right. What do you prefer? Um, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not dark, saying dark, negative. Dark meat has more flavor. Chefs right. respect it more. But right. one of the painful, enduring lessons that you learn in the restaurant business is why chefs are you know tend towards uh, drinking too much. Yeah. Pure long periods <laughs> of self loathing yeah. right. and, and, and depression. Yeah. Is because you know experience teaches them again and again that people don't want the good stuff that they insist on the bad stuff and right. it's broken a lot of chefs you know it's like your best efforts you're gonna be sure of one thing let's say you know you're yeah. the best chef in the world you know it, yeah you're, you're cooking at a sort of a popular restaurant that right. tries to be everything to everybody right and you put a, a bunch of beautiful specials on the menu what are yeah. you gonna get when they come in the kitchen to compliment you yeah. it's got to be oh the filet mignon was wonderful yeah which pretty much you could train a you know a, a, an intelligent monkey to do right and we hate you know it's so you character. just go with the white meat but you know you you can make it with it. like people want the white meat they if do you gave right? them dark they're gonna they're gonna bitch like the, like the old school deli chicken salad member? Yo, you are going to get a whole heap of shit for that if you do it. So they like that chunky breast chicken salad? Uh, generally speaking, now, of course, with the hipster invasion, yeah. there's, there's kind of hope for all of us because yeah. now you've got, you know, hipsters <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. authentic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, tell me about uh, uh, octopus is popular now. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's great. It wasn't around before, it feels well, like to me. When I started cooking, yeah. uh, if you served squid on a menu, people right. would, would lose their shit. Uh, tuna was largely ca- considered to be cat food. Uh, any fish on the bone with a head, my God, people would completely go bizarre. Really? You know, thank God for hipsters and their ways. <laughs> they, they've really, you know, opened the door to enlightenment in many ways. But it seems like calamari has been a standard in Italian For a places. long time. Right. But it was it was a it was not anywhere near as popular when I started cooking, and you're starting to see a lot of uh, hooves and snouts and tails and you know uh, sure. uh, stuff like that. I mean, that's that's so you can hardly go into a restaurant for the last ten years without seeing pork belly and you know a chef with a you know I love you ever- pork on on their on their tattooed on their chest. And you, you got like a chicken pot pie in here, and you got a recipe for hot borscht, which is fucking great. Yeah. I mean, I made that once. Like those recipes, depending on where they come from, can get pretty big for hot borscht, huh? Yeah, but I mean that that's a dish that you you can make on a Sunday and keep all. Yeah, week. yeah. It's super cheap to make, and it only gets better over time. Yeah, and you do the Italian gravy and sausage in here. Yeah, right? look, I like peasant food. You know, there's yeah, nothing yeah. fancy in there, really. Roast chicken. Yeah, basic everyone roast should, chicken. Everyone should know how to how to roast a chicken. Right. In fact, it's a general principle. You know, wouldn't society be better if everybody, you know, given the opportunity and a few raw ingredients could competently cook for themselves? Yeah. Like, you know, I jokingly say it, but I believe it. I think before you, before you learn to fuck, you should learn to cook. Because <laughs> in a perfect world, after you fuck, you should be able to cook an omelet for, for the person who just, you know, did you this kindness. You this know, you should really... be able to competently make a fucking omelet who to live in America. Who the hell can't do that? Everybody. Really? 
no one knows how to grill a backyard steak in this country. They, everybody grills backyard steaks if they've got a backyard and could afford it. How do they steak. fuck it up? They overcook it? They they, uh, they cook it too high, but the biggest mistake, the, the, what everybody does is they, they're poking it all the time. They're right. jabbing it and poking it, right. checking to see if it's done inside. Yeah. And then the worst is they haul it off the grill. And they cut into it right away. Right away. Wrong. Sit it. 10 minutes, right? right. Uh, I, w- I ate at Kispaka the other day. Yeah. And... Um, it was really nice to see. They cooked this huge piece of meat. It takes 45 minutes to cook, but I'm guessing the last 10 or 15 minutes, they're just letting it sit on the board. And man, that makes all the difference in the world. If you just leave it alone, let the thing sit, because what's going on inside that unmolested steak is all sorts of magical recirculation of its juices yeah and it comes out perfect if you cut right into it right away you get that sort of bullseye pattern you know it's fiery red in the center right and you know you've got that it, it, right it's all and just it, everything's wrong let it let it just sort of finish yeah yeah so it just that simple thing just well, t- rest it tell me about the eggs though because like there's like this idea i remember i watched it on one of the shows that there's a that that eggs done perfectly are challenging somehow like to do an egg mm-hmm. and there's some french idea about how to do an egg that like what is it that like you have a recipe for scrambled eggs in here yeah and what what makes it again different? super simple don't overbeat them right you want them a little ripply and some people like them a little runny but that's a preference thing Look, right that's a preference thing but, yeah i mean just don't overbeat them first i don't add cream or yeah. milk or right. water or yeah. anything uh i beat them I, I i i beat them up with a fork right put them in a hot pan move them around in a figure eight pattern and they get just right. You know, you want them kind of fluffy and with some nice texture and flavor. And, instead you, of this. and you got the whole roasted wild black sea bass in here. Yeah. I mean, how hard is that? Throw it's fish a- in oven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, I was not, I should point out, I was not, you know, Escoffier. I was not the greatest chef. I'm a, I am, a, this is coming to you from yeah. a guy who had 30 years in the business. That Not not a, you know, a genius of creativity. Yeah. I'm a, I, you know, I'm a guy who's been cooking for a nine-year-old using that experience. Yeah, you got nice grilled cheese recipe in here for the kid. Nice mac and cheese recipe in here. Well, you know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of really great dishes like mac and cheese, grilled cheese, the hamburger. The, the you know the key to doing them right is to just not fuck them up. Don't <laughs> overcomplicate them. You know why are you putting all of these additional ingredients in? I mean, goat cheese and uh, I don't want truffle oil in my macaroni no. cheese or lobster. No. I mean, you cannot improve on a good, you know, like Velveeta macaroni and cheese. Sure. I mean, man or God cannot improve on it. Do you do what do you do? Do you do the buttered crumbs on top? The buttered bread crumbs? I think that is an acceptable uh, right? garnish. That's acceptable. Uh, I like to uh, I like to melt the uh, you know I like to use make a basically a thick sauce of a cheddar. Work my cook you know my noodles in, yeah. and then you know sprinkle a little maybe a little grated parm or breadcrumbs over the top. Get, right. Get a, I like a little crust on and then top. Then bake but it. Some people don't look. There are certain times of my life when I, I I need to slip out. No matter what I've said about fast food, I sometimes need to slip out of my apartment and and, and you know pull a hoodie over my head and slide into the Colonel or uh, or Popeyes and get that nasty <laughs> sort of molten, unnaturally orange mac and cheese. Yeah, and, and yeah. I always I always feel like well, what happens always is I'm halfway out the door and yeah. no one's recognized me and I'm like yes I've made it and then it's always someone will be like oh Anthony Bourdain you're oh dude. Dude, what do you do? You know, it's like I'm, you know, I've got a box set of like anal rampage one through three under my arm coming out of the video store. It's like, oh no, man, they got me. <laughs> and now I, I also appreciated the fact that you just said fuck dessert in this book. I just, you know, I'm, first of all, I don't know how to make them, so why should I pretend that I do? Right. You know, I'm not a pastry chef. Right. Uh, most chefs 
know aren't. So why do they have these elaborate dessert sections? They have yeah. no clue about desserts. Right. And I don't really, if I, in my life, if I had to give up one course for yeah. the rest of my life, it would be dessert. Yeah. Cheese, on the other hand, give you me a big block of Stilton and a spoon, bottle of port, and I'm happy. That's, well, yeah, that's, it got, it covers everything. Yeah. Now, let's talk about In-N-Out Burger for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you love it? I do. I think it is an, uh, it is, uh, look, it is not the greatest burger on earth. I love it. it. But. Yeah. I mean, I love it because yeah. it is, it's a perfect example of a, uh, freshly cooked, uh, Good ingredients, uh, structurally sound burger. Yeah. Uh, so eating it is a is a pleasure. Uh, you know, I just think they 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 make a reliably good product, and I don't have to feel bad about like uh, eating it. You know, I, it's a reasonably socially responsible burger. They take they take good care of their employees apparently, and they use good stuff. And, right, and they have biblical. They used to have biblical quotes. Yeah. On the packages, but now they just have the number of the. They don't have the full thing. They yeah, just, I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I don't need I, to be ideologically aligned with you to enjoy your you burger. Wanna, but if you want to go look up, the, the, they just says sometimes it just says Deuteronomy six yeah. whatever. What I don't, I don't know why get, that is. What I don't. What I the, the goodwill towards In and Out Burger is truly remarkable. Yeah, uh, I don't know whether you talked about this before, but I, I, uh, you know, I Instagram. Yeah, I could literally. I'll put up a picture of me. You know, with the Dalai Lama or something, yeah, yeah, or yeah. skateboarding yeah. or doing something. Right. I mean, just completely insane. I mean, you yeah. know, some the greatest moment of my life. You know, with Iggy or, or Christopher right. Walken. Sure. And it's like, you know, woohoo! Look at me, and I'll get maybe six thousand likes. Yeah, I put up a picture of an In and Out Burger sitting on a on a table yeah. with nothing else in the background. I'll get like seventy thousand likes <laughs> and comments in minutes. People love it. I walk into the hotel with this reeking bag yeah. of burgers and you know I'm staying at a very nice hotel. Sure. Ordinarily you walk into a hotel with like a big bag of like fast food and they're like they look at you like you just chat in your pants. Yeah. Uh, Not here. No, no, it's like good choice sir. Yeah, Excellent yeah. choice. Uh, what, where are you eating in LA? Where are you eating tonight? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I haven't figured it out yet. Oh really? Yeah. I might get a taco across the street. Oh yeah? Okay. Yeah. That's a good choice in LA. Thanks for talking man. Yeah it's fun. Anthony and I talked, and then he shuffled off into the evening in a fancy, uh, fast-looking rental car. So, look, I've known Rich on and off for a long time. When I was coming up as a comic, Rich was always the guy that was referred to as one of the best club acts in the country. We all knew him as this just just this fucking, you know, road animal that was, uh, you know, just a killer comic. And I, you know, I saw him once many years ago when I was starting out at Stitches, but he was just, you always heard about Rich and I hadn't seen him in a while and I'm happy he wrote this book. It's an honest book and uh, it was great talking to Rich Scheidner. So this is me, comedian Rich Scheidner. His book is called Kicking Through the Ashes, My Life as a Stand-Up in the 1980s Comedy Boom. And you can get that wherever you get books. This is me and Scheidner. Were you a store guy? Yeah, I played the store and the improv. I went back and forth. But I mean, were you like in there? Like, I mean, were you hanging around? I don't know if I I hung around because Sam and I hung around a lot. Right. But I hung around not because there was a place to hang around. There was a bar at the improv. Right. But there wasn't a bar. You had to stand around in the hallways. Like yeah. You said, or you're on the patio, or you're out, or you're out in back of the in the you know behind the, the patio. There was it was really that much of a patio there in the front. 
Yeah, there was no patio in the front. There yeah, was not, that there wasn't is. there then. Yeah, not well, wasn't there then. What do you mean? It's been that there like for... that patio that they kind of set up then. It wasn't then back in when I got I, in eighty two. Oh, in eighty two. No, no, it wasn't there. I was there in eighty seven. It was yeah. there. Well, maybe we added it in there. Just put a few tables out there, a counter. Yeah. No, I don't remember that there. Maybe you're right. I don't think that was there. But you kind of had to hang out in the parking lot. That was right. It. Yeah, well, that's, that's what makes it dirty. That's what makes it bad. You got to hang out in someone's car behind the place, up in the fucking green room upstairs. But where'd you start? Where was the beginning of it? I, I mean, when I first started, yeah. I was in Washington, D.C. There were no comedy clubs. It was 77, first time I walked on stage. It was 77. A, 77. There was a, a friend of mine. I was in law school. It was it was in law school. It was it was not a great law school. It was International School of Law and Screen Door Repair. It was it was it was not you know it turned into George Mason. But when I started, it wasn't accredited. Wait, but where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? New Jersey. South so you're Jersey. fucking Jersey guy. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the shore. Yeah, Jersey Shore. South Which town? South was Pennsylvania. So like small. Everybody worked for EI Dupont, the chemical factory. Sure. Yeah. And uh, their farms around my grandfather their farms. It was all small town. It was not not North Jersey. You think of like Sopranos, but this wasn't it. This was. No, South I Jersey. grew. I come from Jersey. Oh, really? Where? Well, my I was born in uh, Jersey City, but my grandparents were in Pompton Lakes. My other grandparents, uh, my father's grandparents, were in Jersey City, Bayonne. So I grew. I mean, my You're, first. I was always in Jersey growing up. I was the first six years of my life. Wayne, Pompton Lakes. Yeah, you're way north. Right, but my my aunt, my father's sister, lived down in Oakhurst, which is down the shore by right. Monmouth Beach, yeah. right? Deal yeah. Beach. Yep. Were you in relation to that? Well, we're south, way south. I'm down Ocean City, Atlantic City, way south. Atlantic City. Yeah, Atlantic City. Yeah, so your family's all from Jersey? All from Jersey. All generations? Generation. First, they, listen, they got kicked out of Germany in like seven... I, a friend, my, my cousin did a genealogy. Yeah. 1721, kicked out. Landed in South Jersey. 1721, like before this... Yeah, yeah, just kicked out for poverty. It was like, you know, you just kick them out, just empty the debtor's prison, send them to America. Right. They landed in South Jersey, never left, and never owned anything. Ever. That's generations of drunkenness. Never, ever. <laughs> all tenant farmers, man. Always, you know, just... Yeah. So your father was a farmer? Yeah, he grew up as a farmer, then he became a businessman. What business? Insurance. He started... He took over his, his drunken grandfather's insurance so the business. booze plays a big part all big part man all the way down the line but you're sober how long 31 years shit unbelievable right yeah right it, unbelievable it is really it is fucking yeah unbelievable. it is it but is. like you were like notoriously uh horrendous yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it I didn't told, help it didn't help anything but let's track it because yeah. you were kind of your whole you know if people don't know who Rich Scheidner is, it was because most of, you know, I mean, you were a big act during what was the comedy boom that right. all that all of us heard of. Like when I started, you know, I, when I started doing comedy, I'd go to clubs and they're like, yeah, it's not the same anymore. Boom's over. <laughs> it's over. Like that's, that's when I started was just with club owners going, I don't get it. I don't get it. it. Was packed last Tuesday, and they're talking about a Tuesday that was a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, I hit it right. I hit it right. I said I started '77, so I moved to New York in '79. But '77, so you just do it. You're going to law school, and you drop out. Eventually, I did. Were you doing well? Do, do you regret that? No, I don't regret it. No, no, I would not have been because I would have been more interested in getting laughs from the jurors than really representing my client right i really i really was addicted to it from the beginning the first time i got on stage i heard the laughs that even one just one i mean my first time i just got like that huh just yeah. like one of those and i was like okay 
I'm coming hooked. back. I'm but coming back. Were you like a fan of comedy growing up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my you know, my dad loved comedy. I really? found out later, you know, he had comedy albums. And I found out later talking to him when he was a young guy, he used to go around and see comics in nightclubs. Back like, oh yeah, because there's all the supper yeah, clubs. Yeah, he saw these comics and he loved it. And if, if a comic came on TV, man, don't talk, man. Don't you say a word. Oh, really? Man, dad's got to get his laugh on. So what, how bad? Well, how bad was the booze in the house? Bad, bad, <laughs> bad, man, bad, bad, bad. Yeah, if like, dad wasn't laughing. Fists were flying, man. No it shit. Was, it was, he was wild. He was a wild young guy. Was he a big fucking dude like you? You're no, big. No, no. He was a farmer though. He was. He. I mean, I fought him. I fist fought him in high school. He was tough. What was that like, day like? Oh what, man, what that brought, was not good, man. What, what was the decision? I, I was. I think there were like two fights, fist fights, where I was a definite knockout. He knocked me out, and then the, the third one, the final one, I, I kind of held my ground, and he just threw me out of the house. I, 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 I did okay. So why did you eventually struggle me out of the house? Do you remember why did you draw the line? Uh, I just had enough, you know. I I was able to be big enough. I got big enough. Because he what he would kick your ass all the oh, time. Oh, he was big. He was he and was he like was... he was not big, big like he was like five nine, but I he get was it. farmer strong, like right. not muscle show muscles, farmer muscle. Right, but he was like abusive. No, uh, he was when he get drunk, he got angry. <laughs> Listen, to you still apologizing for him. <laughs> Well, I love the guy now. We're cool. He's sober now, too. He's still so alive? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, I talk to him all the time. He's a great guy. I mean, we, we love he each other. You got through yeah. it. Well, that's good. No, yeah. forgiveness is important. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that you frame it like that, yeah, yeah. I thought you were just sort of like a you know, cowering codependent. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I'm honest about it. No, Dad no. was just, you know, he got mad. He was no, like, no. You know, <laughs> you know, look, Mark, on the upside of that, when I used to got fights growing up, right, I was like that cool hand Luke. I could take a punch. Yeah. And I keep coming back. Eventually, some guys would just quit fighting you. Yeah. You keep coming back. Right? You were that not that they were good. I was that, not that were good. Just, because they felt bad for you. No, because they Stay just got down. tired. They were like, just got Stay tired. Down. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there those moments, you know, where they go, yeah, okay, yeah. this guy ain't stopping. Okay, I quit. You know? Oh, that's a horrendous scene in Cool yeah, No, it's not. It's, and it, and it's, not, it's not fun in real life, but looking back, it's funny. <laughs> but you did know? you fight a lot? Yeah. Really? That was your thing, huh? Uh, it was because I just was, I had that look. I had like looked, I guess it was like a blonde hair, blue eyed. I looked kind of weak. Really? And, and people would like push and I I snap and I snap. No, I wasn't that big then. I oh. wasn't big. Aren't you tall or am I mistaken? I'm six one, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. that's pretty yeah. tall. Yeah. All right, so you're at home. You got siblings? Yeah. All younger. How what two, how many? Two brothers and a sister. Really? There's three in that maniac house? Yeah. Putting up with four, that shit? Four of them. And when yeah. how was everyone out of the house when he got sober? Yeah. Oh, so that's one of those things where it's like <laughs> You know the damage is done, and then, <laughs> then the guys are like, "Guess what? I'm you know y'all help him get sober," and yeah. then like, did he fucking? All right, I don't. No, I, he did. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Did he make amends? Yes, he did. To everybody, he flew out, yeah, everybody. He flew out here to, to where I, at California. We met down the ocean. He made his amends. He did, and, and you know part of it was I made amends to him. Three years before that, like was the second sober, time, though? the first time I did, did like a half ass. I'm like, I don't want to, you know. Yeah, I did. I walked into the house and was like, you know, hey, Dad, I did yeah. some stuff, and he was drinking. Like, you gonna drink? You want a beer? No. Well, well all, right, uh, all right, we're done talking. <laughs> right. And uh, and then I went back and did it right. Amends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like, you don't want to punch you <laughs> more than making an amends. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Like, hit you with his chair. And yeah, we, or even can we call it even? Did you stay? Did you go in and out? Or you were sober? No, no. I, I, I bounced once. In oh, about yeah. forty four days, and then oh, I've that don't count. Sense. Yeah. yeah, but uh, all right. So he, so he did it, huh? So like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. That's 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 heavy, man. To me, to like, because I talked to other cats. Like, my dad wasn't like that. wasn't physically abusive. wasn't alcoholic. But like Patrick Stewart, I talked to. Were you? 
you know, you grow old and you have to change the way you see somebody. Yeah. Out of yeah. forgiveness yeah. and your own fucking sanity. So and you don't hurt yourself. And when you see them differently, you can start seeing everybody else differently. I mean, it was really hard for me walking through that. I mean, yeah. I don't know trust and no, and no ability to really see somebody honestly. I have this kind of hair trigger fight or flight thing. Yeah. And so I view everybody like that. Right. Are they a danger? Not danger. Right. No, can I trust them? Yeah. No, no I don't trust them. That's a given. No right. trusting. Right. That's out. That's out. That's that's not even on the table. Non-starter. <laughs> trusting. It's good for relationships too. <laughs> oh great. Oh yeah. They're not trusting. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. They can't win. <laughs> You're the winner and alone. <laughs> the winner and alone. <laughs> so so you go through this and then uh, you get out of the house. Are all your our siblings okay? Is everybody sober? Everybody's fine. Yeah. yeah no. Well. Well. Were you the well, only two, one? No, no, my, my sister, she's sober. My uh -huh. my other younger brother didn't, but uh, he, didn't... he slowed down after he got five bullets uh, put in him. <laughs> By got, who? He got a neighbor, that rednecks down in Florida. And no shit. He, got one of the, he was like one of the first, to, he, he, the guy suckered him in one of those stand your ground things in Florida. This happened like 2008. So, and like, they, so, uh, drinking, he was drinking. They New were Year's both Eve, drinking? He was drinking. The other guy was drinking. They had, they'd have a feud for a while, neighbors. And the guy baited my brother. He came down and, and took his pickup truck and drove around in front of my brother's. My brother has a fish camp. So he drove in front of the office, office you know, in the gravel park and a lot kicking up sand and waving his gun at my sister-in-law, who then immediately, you know, went and told my brother what he'd done. Yeah. So my brother just runs down to the guy's place. As soon as he stepped on the guy's lawn, the guy steps out from behind a tree with a twenty-two rifle and shot him five times. He what baited him. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, baited him perfectly. And, that, and now are they still neighbors? You no, know, the guy left for Tennessee because he was soon like he knew my brother got out of the hospital. He was going to kill him probably. Oh, really? Yeah, he went back to Tennessee. You know, it's just redneck stuff. You know, that, that is redneck stuff, right? Pure, pure redneck stuff. And does your brother still have a fish camp? Uh, he still has a fish camp and what a limp. A fish and camp? a limp. Yeah, <laughs> scars and what's, oh yeah, big scars. What's a fish camp? People go fish. People go fish. Stocked, they, stocked they, ponds. It's it's no, it's a big. It's a lake in Florida. Yeah. So you know he charges people to, to fix their engines and stuff. He repairs engines. And oh, he, oh, oh, and he oh. and he has uh, they they park their trailers and all, and then put their boats in and and huh. fish for a week or something. Oh, and then, I get it. I you know, get so it. He rents them the spots where they and he sells them bait and other things. Wow. So he's had that for years. Yeah. Where's your mother in all this cowering or? <laughs> seething oh seething better yeah 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 better. she was you know she was she was having a hard time she was having a hard time man you know it's she it stayed with it the but whole she time? but she grew up in a real abusive place so it felt like home to her it just keeps repeating itself. it does man it does it just... have you tracked that with your genealogy have yeah you oh to yeah track the alcohol? oh yeah oh all yeah. the way back all the way back no shit my mother's father remember sam Irwin, senator sam Irwin yeah from Watergate. He was a young prosecutor in North Carolina mountains. They'd have this circuit where they, they'd go around and circuit judges, you know, because they'd set up a court because they didn't have enough money for these some of these rural places that right. court full time. Yeah. He was a circuit prosecutor in the trial that my grandfather's brother was being tried for murder. During the trial, a fight broke out in the courtroom. My grandfather stabbed Sam Irvin. That's <laughs> that's my family's touch with fame. <laughs> He was one of the good guys in Watergate. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the yeah, prosecutors. He, he had a scar in his, from a Hartley. He had a scar from a Hartley in the mountains of North Carolina. <laughs> so, so they, so that a lot of drink in there too. But like a lot of your family, they came through Jersey. They stayed in Jersey. No, but well, my, my, my mom's side. all from North Carolina. Oh, and my, my dad's side stayed in Jersey. Always Jersey. Never left South Jersey. So like your mom's family, like hill people, hillbillies, total mountain folk, <laughs> Banner Elk, North Carolina. Up in the, yeah, total, Did total. My great great grandfather was a 
snake handler, preacher, yeah, and a moonshiner. Really? Covered both sides. Did you spend time out there? Oh, I spent uh, summers up there. I, you know, I'd go up there, and the beginning of every summer, I'd spent like four summers in a row up there. And they'd drop me off beginning of summer, and I'd fight for two days. <laughs> Yankee! Yankee! <laughs> really? And then be fine for the rest of the summer. All right, he's all right. I'm fascinated with that shit. Yeah. It's all part of your... Yeah, it's all part of it. Didn't ask for it, didn't look for it, but it's like, you know, you want to go outside, and you had to go outside because the cabin they lived in was nothing. But, like, it's so interesting what families bring, because you would have just been sort of Jersey... You know, working class, yeah. but, and then you got this whole other world you get to go yeah. fucking deal with. Yeah. This whole other dark world because of family. <laughs> wow. So you get out, you get into college somehow. You, you yeah. In DC. No, Gettys- No, I went to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, and then then I couldn't get into any law schools. I went home and so when's managed the al- a bar for a year. Oh, good for you, an alcoholic managing a bar. Yeah, so when perfect. does when does the booze start really fucking become? Well, obviously. You kept at it pretty good for a long time, yeah. and you were able to finish college. Yeah, I did. So you weren't that fucking out of control, huh? No, I, I got through it. I got through it. Uh-huh. I nearly, you know, nearly failed out the sophomore year, but I got through it. Right. I changed majors, got into one that I could just, you know, sociology where I could just fill blue books with bullshit. Right. You know, but I got, <laughs> I got out of the ones where required actual answers. Blue books. <laughs> Essay tests. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just got like anxiety. Yeah. Blue books. Yeah. The worst. So you're in D.C., you're in law school. Yeah. Where Where is this comedy show? There, it was uh, a, a classmate, Howard Vine, says, you're funny, man. We, we You should go do, well, I don't even know if we knew to call it stand-up or whatever. I mean, I've been watching comics for years. Right. And he took me to this coffee house. It was in the basement of this church. It was sort of a famous D.C. coffee house where people would come through, uh-huh. Roberta Flack, other singers. Oh, okay. it. So it was a, it, it was in, this 77, it's just really in, in a Georgetown basement. Georgetown or? No, this was a, a in Northwest, it was off du- a place called Thomas Circle. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. in the bottom basement of a church. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was just a bunch of people playing chess. And there was, I mean, I followed a poet. I mean, there was. So this is like the t- sort of tail end of the hippie, hippie thing. thing. Yeah, it was yeah. really a bunch of hippies in yeah. an underground bunker. What was bunker. left of them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. High 70, what was 77? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So comedy was happening, but it was still, there were no clubs. No. Most comics were opening for musical acts. That's all I did when I first started. Okay, so you do this gig. You go up with what? Five minutes I planned. I planned five minutes. I, yeah. I wrote it out, and I pretty much said it the way I you know, I almost read it off the paper. I could have just read it off the paper. I just memorized it and walked up there and did it. Uh-huh. And I got like one reaction, like one, huh! Yeah. And, and, and I just went back and kept, I literally, literally went Looking back. for more of those? And rewound it to that, huh. I could rewind it, huh. Rewind. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just kept playing it over and over again. Yeah. I was just surprised I got any kind of reaction. And I was so excited. And then he found more places. Then I started going around to these pubs that had these singer-songwriter nights, and I'd right. talk my way onto it. Yeah. And then I started going around, and then I, then I was like, they they let me, they said, he can host. Why don't you? People started looking for me, like, hey, where right. were you last week? You didn't show up. So yeah, I knew yeah. I was starting to do something. Because you were the only comic, right? Exactly. So yeah. I was doing something different. And and then and, you start getting MC gigs. Yeah. That yeah, they go, let MC the, the night. And I'd MC the night. Of course, I'd do more material in right. between. That's and, how you build the act. Right. Yeah. Right. right. So you do that for how many years? I do that for like, uh, I was doing it for about six months in a place open called El Brookman's. Yeah. This guy put it, my friend of mine in, in school, it was, I was in, in, uh, it was in the summer of 77. Yeah. And she said, she brought me an ad from the Washington Post newspaper and it classified, said comics, any comics want to do comedy, come to this place. Mm-hmm. And so I showed up and Louis Black showed up and Kevin Rooney and all these people showed up 
from around D.C. that read this ad or somebody told him like me. No shit. And we started doing comedy there. 77? Ron Zimmerman, yeah, yeah. Ron Zimmerman. John Heyman, there's a bunch John of John Heyman guys was who, yeah, funny. Bill Masters, a bunch of guys who still Bill stayed, Masters. stayed in the business. Some of them, you know, became writers or whatever. Well, I don't know where Ron Zimmerman is. He's, he's around. He's around. He's in Marina Del Rey. <laughs> he's a character. He is. I heard he came from a big uh, grocery fortune or something. No, his dad had a deli in D.C. Oh, that's was different. A big one store. Yeah, not a fortune. <laughs> it's funny how things become mythic. Bill his Masters, first, yeah, Bill married Masters. to Gail Berman. That's I wrote right. a script with Bill Masters. John Heyman was early on the Comedy Channel. Right. Right? He did- A Seinfeld did episode. He played a bubble boy, I think. Yeah, but right. he's been writing forever. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And uh, Zimmerman wrote uh, that- the one uh, controversial TV show that everyone held on to forever, Action, or was right. that what it was yeah, called? Yeah, 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 he wrote on that, that's right. He wrote, right. He wrote some yeah. comic books, I think. Yeah. He was sort of a character that used to have people over to his house when I first moved to L.A., and I met him then. Um, who else did you mention? Kevin was Rooney. Rooney, great joke Black, writer. Yeah. Rooney's tremendous. Great joke writer, and also a funny stand-up. Very funny. I remember watching him. So all you guys show up, and th those guys, they had no place to work either? No. No, it was like this little little bar. I mean, really, like 60 people, 80 people. all those fucking guys yeah. were kind of big acts. Yeah. Well, we were all started there. We started hanging out and doing this on Friday and Saturdays, and it became like the place. Like, it was down in southeast Washington. Yeah. Somebody once said, how do you get to El Brooklyn? You drive south on Pennsylvania Avenue until you become frightened. <laughs> it was a tough neighborhood, and you, you pay these local kids to watch your cars while you're in there. And then they started... It became like the place people on the hill would come watch us do this and be like Mercedes. It's like I never heard that. Like it's a whole new like comedy element, a whole new chunk of the history there. You know, because I've heard a lot of them. Yeah. You know, and I know all those guys, and you know, people who know comedy or at least who have been in the business know all those guys. But that scene started organically pre-comedy club. That's right. With those dudes. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys, when who made the decisions, sort of like to say like, I'm going to New York. Because this is not real. I didn't even know that New York was happening. And then a friend of mine from law school, she came to see us at Old Brooklyn. She says, you know, there's clubs like this in New York. I go, what? Because yeah, come on up. And she, she took me up to New York City. 78? Right around then. So that's really the beginning of it. So that's like catch. And and I go up there and we couldn't get in the improv, which is like 44th and 9th. Couldn't get in the catch writing store, which is on 2nd. Oh, no, 1st Avenue around 77. The been going a little while. No, no, they were packed. They were, yeah. I couldn't get in. They were just sold out. Right. So then we, we ended up at the comic strip. We got into the comic yeah, strip, yeah. right? And I'm sitting in the audience. You know, you're watching, and I'm I've been doing it for years, and I'm judging myself yeah, as when these the, guys. When you walked into the room, and the stage was at that far end. That's of the right. Room. They switched it around. That's right. Opened it up. Yeah, yeah. I remember. It was this narrow. Yeah, yeah. And I sit there, and I'm watching comic after comic, and then I'm like, I'm funnier than this guy. I'm funnier than this sure. guy. And then Seinfeld came up, who I didn't know it was Seinfeld. Right. But he had that killer material right yeah, from the beginning, yeah. and I said, I got more work to do. <laughs> you remember who else he saw? I don't remember anybody uh, else with him. Yeah, I remember, yeah. and I remember the piece, the big piece about going to amusement parks, and he had that piece about the helpless father and son bumper car team, something like that. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, and so, you're like this, and guy. I was like, this guy's got some stuff here. So that inspired you to write more, more, diligently? yeah, work more. Yeah, that was. I was just, I got, I just got to keep writing. I got to keep working. You know, I'm not ready to come up here yet. And then Garvin's open, which was like the first paying comedy right, DC, club. Yeah. Right. That opened in like January of 79. Then I started meeting all those guys coming down from New York. To work. I was the MC. I was the house MC. Oh, shit. So he, he sort of hired me and said, you know, be the house MC. And it was like, I was getting paid and everything. So where did Masters and Lewis, how, when did they all split? Were you guys all friends? They came later. Yeah, we were, friend, we were friends. We were friends. You know, the Garvin's, 
L. Brookman's thing became like one of his first times you realized there became a rivalry. Like you couldn't work. Like, uh huh. L. Brookman's Did got angry if you worked there. Did you guys used to eat there. at Zimmerman's dad's deli? No, I never ate there. Oh. Hmm. I never ate there. All right. No. You got a problem with Jews? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scheidner? Yeah. Yeah. Scheidner? <laughs> Maybe you got kicked out of Germany for a reason. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not that. I don't think he ever invited us. I don't think he wanted anybody around there. I bet you that's true. You know, he didn't, uh, he, you know, I mean, I know Ron's Zimmerman's story, but he has his ability to tell his own story. He he had he had a tough childhood. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah like no, Don I, Draper style. Right. Yeah, I should try. I, I could get him in here, but like I, sometimes you don't know where he's, what frequency he's operating at. You know, <laughs> like to, how good way of cognizant or talkative he will be, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's definitely a character. Yeah. So all right, so you're, you're Garvin's. I remember Garvin's. I never worked at Garvin's. I worked at the in DC. I think I did the comedy cafe the last week it was open, and I think he that he owned a strip club too. That guy, right? Yeah. That yeah. And then I and then the improv opened. I usually worked at that improv, which was a really good improv. Actually. It was. It was. Yeah. So Garvin's was a place. So that was one was of hot. the was, first comedy. Clubs. Yeah, it was a first paying gig. These guys in New York were coming down, and people from L.A. and it was exciting. I, mean, I think they were getting like two fifty a weekend, but it was right. huge, money right, for them then. And when did you like start to feature and shit? How I was, long did that take? I was MC in there. Yeah. And then after a couple of months, like guys like Overton and Glenn Hirsch are like, you got to move to New York. Glenn like, Hirsch, Rich what Hall. happened to that guy? He's, I think he's still around here. You know, right. he's, 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 he lives out here somewhere and his mm-hmm. wife, yeah. It's so, so many so many people, it's so funny that like, I don't realize that I don't know people except from their, their headshots. Do <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like I, everyone's familiar. And you go in, the, in the clubs and you see Because you keep seeing them for years yeah, and yeah. you think you know them. Yeah. And then it's like, this is Glenn Hirsch. I'm like, holy shit, I know you. I don't know you. I know your picture. Like it happens at the comedy store all the time. Yeah. Because yeah, you just see these guys. Like I never knew who the fuck Killer Bees was. I just saw oh, pictures. <laughs> and then and I interviewed him. It was great. That's good. It was great. That's good. But, um, all right, so all right, so you're doing it, and the guys are coming down from New York. Glenn Hirsch, what does he say? What do they go? Well, all the guys, Rich Hall, Glenn, yeah, they all yeah. were like, "You got to go to New York," and I said, hey, "I got to go." So I said, "That's it. I'm done with law school," and I moved to New York. And like, uh, you were still in law school doing the feature or doing the uh, MC? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I yeah, really yeah. stopped working, studying, and doing. I mean, yeah, just barely. Just how's the booze? Oh, I drink it when I can. I drink on stage. I drink, you know. I, but can you managing? I was managing, yeah. I was young. I was young and managing. All right. You know, young and managing. And it, and it helped. It helped knock down doors. It helped give me some bravery. Sure. Uh, all, all the drugs. I went on stage and under the influence of every drug I could get in my hands on. Well, we try ate, that. See how that worked. Sure. We did that. You know, that was part yeah. of the initiation. You know, it's sort of like, have you ever performed on mushrooms? Yeah. I did. Yes, I, I did. did. It's yes, not did. great. Not no, great. No, no, <laughs> It's It's, you know, acid where you got you to gotta hold on, man. You got to hold It's so funny that people who have that that ethic of you know like you know pushing the envelope with drugs and shit if you really think about it it's it, it could do nothing but hobble you like there's no point <laughs> to go on stage on hallucinogens there's no there's absolutely other than to be like i did it you know who's gonna do that more than once no 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 point i did <laughs> <laughs> i got you though accidental the, the other times were more accidental oh yeah yeah because yeah. it can't be great. No, no, no. Like the fear must be in, in, and intensified. It was huge. It was huge. Yeah. I got trapped into one where I was I was opening up for uh I, I can't remember I think it was I think I think it was Robert Hunter, who was like the lyricist for the day. Yeah. He was one of those guys. Yeah, and yeah. I opened, yeah. Up, I opened up for him for a bunch of times. So one time we were camping, mm. all right, and doing acid. 
And we the kept, real shit. Yeah, you have real shit. And yeah. we dropped more. And then I go, oh, we got it. And then we had to drive back. No, and second I had to go on dose, stage. Bad idea. Bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> I got locked in one of these things on stage where it was like a, you know, just a needle stuck on a record. Just God and His infinite wisdom, and man and His infinite stupidity. And I do, do you know, you could brought you, you know, Ovaltine, whatever. I just thought it was hilarious. I was yeah. the only one. Yeah. I kept doing it over. And my girlfriend was in the audience. She threw a roast beef sandwich. Yeah. My buddy, remember, told it, hit me with a roast beef sandwich, and I started eating the sandwich like off the floor and stuff. So you're in your own world. I'm completely. People were just watching. Well, this it was it was just like watching some sad yeah, animal. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The animal's in trouble. <laughs> I'm sure they were well aware something was happening that was not good. Oh, that's fucking, yeah. The second dose of acid because you want to keep the high going, never a never. good idea. It's always going to be bad. Yep. yep. So you moved to New York then? Yeah, I moved to New York. And this yeah. is 79, 8? Yeah, yeah, 79. 79. 79. So the boom's about to happen. Yeah, there no, there were, the only work that you could get was like Pips was 75, and then they started having all these one Long Island? Yeah, well, uh, no, that was out in, in Sheepshead Bay. Right. In, oh, in, yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Right, Pips. That, that was like $75 for a weekend. Or, and then Jerry Stanley started opening these clubs, these one Pips is where Dice one-lighters. was and Dice, uh, that's right. that's Otto right. and George. That's right. And, yeah, yeah. That's That's right. And then there was one-nighters. You could make a little money. These sure, $55 one-nighters. That's how I started. Right? The one-nighter network. They yes. all had all those eastern cities. Like, I was in Boston in the 80s, 10 years after you, but there there was a huge one-nighter. That's how I learned how to do the work. Wow. That's how you learned how to do the yeah. work? Yeah, Because you got to go into... Well, you don't know what the fuck you're walking into. No. And you got to do a half hour, right? Two-man show? We had a three-man show. Oh. Three-man show. And, and it was there was no like designation. Oh, you're a headliner. We're just oh, everyone does a half. But then kind of informally, they'd start going. You close. You right. know, they'd go. You. You know what I mean? Do you go? Yeah, they started yeah, yeah. become a little hierarchy move. At first, was like, I never wanted to close. I'll uh, take the middle. <laughs> yeah, I take. I'll go take the hit. Yeah, that's right. And get off early and start drinking early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, eventually you're like, I can close. But it's yeah. a time thing at the beginning. It's not about skill set. It's just you don't want to be stuck with short. You know, you know, if you got to do 45 and you know you got 35, yeah, there's only one way to get 45, and that's to say you could do for it. it oh, you know. that's how I got my first. I mean, that was like the, the, the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale opened in 1980, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, right. Early 80. Yeah. And so I was one of the first groups to go down there. Even though I wasn't running their comic strip act, I was my girlfriend at the time was Carol Liefer, was my girlfriend. Right. So she was going down. With, so I went down there to MC. And like just, with four acts? Four acts and acts. me MCing it. Everyone was doing twenties. I can't remember what they did. Something like that. Yeah, but no one. There's no designated. No, no, no. And you're dating Carol Leifer, who right. we now know is not dateable for men. No, not a lesbian yet, Carol Leifer. No, she was not a lesbian then. I, okay. <laughs> okay. I, I can I can safely say uh, that. You don't got to get defensive. No. <laughs> <laughs> did I seem defensive? No I'm kidding. <laughs> so many people, you know what, what? So when she did become a lesbian, people would come up and go, "Well, well, look what you did!" I go, "Oh, really? I have like that much power, really?" Yeah, you yeah. you disgusted her to an entire gender. <laughs> you, like, you were the last straw. That's it. That's it for that gender. It All a, done. It was the late reaction. It happened fifteen years after we split, but it was the late reaction. I did get to her. <laughs> Yeah, you sounds like you got to a lot of people. <laughs> All right, so you go down there, and, and that does what? That you what know? happened was, 
we were hanging out at Comedy Condo one night, and Kelly Rogers was Comedy on the phone. Condo. Right? He's on, they had a phone in the condo. Yeah. That, the, they that learned, didn't last long. Learn from their mistakes, <laughs> they, those they, condo they, owners. That was the first one. So they, they, they It's had, so funny, the, the evolution of Comedy Condos, because like, you know, when you do one that when the club just opens, you go to the condo, like, this is fucking nice. Within two years, you're like, it's a different place. You don't even want to lay on the couch. No. You're like, no, it's fucking no, over. No. Animals. No, animals. And the, and the cleanup would be the, the club manager's girlfriend coming through and just changing a roll of toilet paper worst. once a month. Oh, there's still a few disgusto ones out there. Oh, the worst. All right, so what happened? So, so Kelly Rogers is on the phone. He says, Rich, come here. And he's got, you know, got the phone in his chest. Yeah. He says, Whatever this guy says, tell him you can do it. So I go on the phone and the guy goes, I got this club in Ottawa and I need a headliner next week. Can you do two 45-minute shows? Separate 45-minute shows. I go, yeah, I can do it. In Canada? Yeah. He says, all right, you come on up here next week and, you know, we work out the deal, whatever the money was, and you know, a couple hundred bucks Canadian, whatever it was. I said, yeah, and I hang up. I go, I got like 30 minutes if they buy everything. If, yeah. they, if they get into everything I say, I got yeah. 30 tops, you know? Right. And Kelly's like, don't worry about it. You'll fill it. You'll fill it. And I just started writing furiously, of course. And, you know, my strategy when I got to Ottawa was, was this big bar, and it was like a rock and roll play. You yeah. used to do music, you know? It was right. a big bar, and I'd just go up there and, and do everything I had that was funny to begin with. Yeah. And then the same crowd be there next time, and i just go, you know, it was like every dump my notebooks, running around the audience. I was like Jerry Lewis. I Whatever was like crazy. Everybody could do it. Just not proud. No, it didn't matter. Yeah, but it worked. And sure. the end of the week, the guy brings me in the office to pay me. He says, There's a guy on the phone wants to talk to you. I get on the phone with the guy. I'm Ernie Butler from Montreal. I got a comedy club. I heard you did great there. You want to come here next week? Oh, yeah. I went right to Montreal. Uh huh. I ended that week, get on the phone. Guy goes, I got somebody to talk to you. Mark Breslin from Yuck Yucks goes, I heard, come on down. I, I went out as a you know, like MC came back road headliner. And that's, right. that's how I saw myself from then on. So that was it. That was it. Canada did it. That was it. And then they started opening clubs in America. And I go, well, I'm a headliner, man. And that's how it fucking happened. Yep. Thank you. Th- thanks to the Canadians. Thanks to the Canadians. So, all right. So now we're, what, 81? 80, 81, whatever. Right. So that's when all the clubs, clubs started, started popping like crazy. Unbelievable. They just And they needed guys. Right. Right. They, I imagine at the beginning of it, there weren't a shit ton of guys. That's the, that was the key, who could hold a crowd for 45. Right. Because all these clubs in, in New York and LA just required you to do 15-20. And there were a lot of guys that held up just that 15-20. That's all they had. And no one had that. But I think what I, I don't think I've ever talked about really is that transition was that there were no fucking headlining gigs. Even headliners in Vegas were doing 30 minutes. So there was no, this whole idea of the 45 to an hour right. headlining set right. was actually sort of invented when the comedy that, clubs happened. That's, you're right. You're absolutely right. Huh. You're absolutely right. And they would, and if you could do that, I mean, they'd bring you back like, can you come back in a couple of months? Yeah. Come back in because there's no, guys were coming out and dying from the city. Guys would come out, they'd have you know, 10 minutes of rack was subway material. <laughs> Pittsburgh, they don't care. Well, I guess comedy specials were an hour, but that was really it. You know, and those were big we didn't guys. See the, yeah, but, but those were like Klein and yeah, Carlin. Nobody he, had HBO then. Right. You know what I mean? No, nobody saw No, but those. I'm just trying to figure out where the time got established because that's an interesting idea is that the comedy club boom, you know, required an hour and a half so they could sell their fucking drinks and drop yes. their goddamn checks and maybe do two shows, but they, right? But yeah, but but again, unless there were two shows a weekend, they they like you to sell as much booze as you could, so they'd let you go long. You had two hour, three hour shows easily. Oh yeah, as long as you go as long as you want. They were selling drinks. They didn't care. This was before Mothers Against Drunk Driving right, changed right. the whole drunk driving culture. Right. They didn't care, man. Just sell the guys who were the biggest acts out there, the ones who sold the most booze. Ollie Joe right. Prater, John Fox. They sold booze. The club owners loved them because the places were packed. They didn't need anybody those to put those, butts in the seat. Those are the two. Those right. Are the, like it's so funny. The two most notorious road. <laughs> motherfuckers both of them dead both of them fucking 
horrendous in a way. Ollie Joe would do everybody's act, but John Fox was sort of a sweetheart in his yeah. own fucked up way. <laughs> you had to like John yeah, Fox. Yeah. Ollie Joe was. A, I didn't. I saw him towards the end when he was just limping up the hill uh, next <laughs> oh. to the comedy store because he was staying in a shack that Mitzi owned, and he was constantly battling gout. You know. It's like, but I saw him. I mean, he would he would come in. I this is in Pittsburgh. They had yeah. two clubs. You know, first of all, these clubs became, you know, packed right off the bat. They start opening these little satellite clubs in the suburbs. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. So there was this club in Pittsburgh. Comedy club had one in the suburbs in Monroeville or something. Yeah, yeah. So I was working out there, and Ollie Joe was downtown. I never met the guy before. Yeah, but I'd heard about him. Right? Yeah, because the guys told me, hey, when Ollie Joe comes to town, we got to have not not an eight ball, a quarter ounce, <laughs> a and a dozen quaaludes. When he gets here first night, that's what he has to have to start the week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm like interested to see this guy because I'd heard about him, right? <laughs> How could you And not he had this poster. It was like, well, uh, uh, renegade white man or something. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like his cowboy act. There was no cowboy acts. You know, I didn't, you know, I'm like curious about this guy. Uh-huh. So Saturday night, they got three shows downtown. I got two out there. So I come in because I'm going to party with the club owners. Oh, you're going the late one? Yeah, I'm going to watch the third show. Mm, so I get in one. there. Best yeah, one for disaster. Oh, man, you got it. It's coming. <laughs> so Ollie Joe's up there, man. And I see him swaying, holding the mic with both hands. Like, not, not. he's holding it, man. He's It's, it's a life raft, you know? He's holding it, he's swaying, and he's drinking, man. He's drinking shots with yeah. the audience. Come on, come on. And he starts bleeding out of his nose. Oh, is this yeah. that story? Yeah. And he starts wiping his, he's got a white shirt on with a vest, and right. he's wiping his nose with his sleeve. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I could see it from the back of the room. It wasn't a big club, but I could see it. You right. Know? And the ringsiders, they're like going, they start, there's a groan, Freaking a wave out. of groans starts moving back. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh. And finally, Ollie Joe looks down and sees it. He sees the blood. He looks at me and goes, what, you fuckers don't party? Come on, another shot. <laughs> yeah. And he took another shot, and the quaaludes and booze overpowered the coke, and he went back. But he had the mic still in his hand, the mic and the mic stand, and he goes back holding on to him, just falls back, boom. Yeah. So all you see is the bottom of these cowboy boots, and you can hear him going, he's still talking into the mic, but it's like, in, you know, you can't understand what he's saying. That's the story. That's the story. And so the club owners, Bruno Schripper and these other guys go, come on, help us get him off, and you got to fill, you got to do the rest of the show. I mean, we go up there. This guy's passed out. I had to pull the mic out of his hand. They carry him off. How and long he has a, he been on? Not five, ten minutes. Oh, shit. No, it was, there was nothing. It was so like the beginning of the show. You, and I started, I go, okay, folks, here we go. Like, nothing happened. Like, man down, man up. Did you get it? Oh, yeah. You, you got him? For sure. See, like, that story I thought was the John Fox story. I've heard that story, different versions of it. I've told the story, and I thought it was John Fox. No, you witnessed the story. I witnessed it. I was there. Bruno, Bruno. We have, we, have, we have confirmation that it's an Ollie Joe Prater story, and he went down. Went down. Oh, I the the tag only tag I knew was like doesn't anyone party anymore? Yeah, and I thought it was John. No, and then they but they, John could have done the same thing. They had to <laughs> they had to put Ollie Joe in the car. Bruno was just driving back to like this Viking motel. Yeah, put him in his room. And go, when they get to the hotel, Ollie Joe wakes up <laughs> like, well, oh what what yeah, hotel right. shit? I'm going out partying because you ain't partying with me. And they had kicked him out of his car. Had to pull him out of his car. Uh. And leave him in the parking lot and drive off. What a mess. It was a mess. Well, that's the funny, that's the other thing outside of what we just discovered, and I don't know if it's in the book or not, that the idea of what the time slots were, but but this notion that there were a lot of dudes working in the eighties that were either on the run, complete you know, borderline <laughs> criminals, you know, people that yeah. did not fit into the social fabric, yeah. who wanted to have a life where they could get fucked up, sleep all goddamn day, and just go through get the you know, go do their little fucking act. So they could keep living the life they want to live. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's been around in comedy for a long time, but I just remember there were, because I knew Bastille, you know, kind of well towards the end. And, and he was a great example of it. Like, he didn't want his name on the marquee because he didn't want his ex wife or the IRS <laughs> knowing where the fuck he was and knowing that he was making any money. You know, you ever see this movie called Mickey One? No. Mar- oh, you got to check it out. It's like 64, 65. I forget who directed like Schlesinger, one of those guys. Oh, yeah. Warren Beatty stars as a comic huh. who goes on the run from the mob. Yeah. And he ends up like, say he's on the run in New York. He ends up in Chicago. And he just takes a job at a club. Yeah. Like, again, in a nightclub. Can't right. help himself. Like right. busboy or something. Right. Can't help himself. Has to get on stage eventually. Oh, yeah? Gets on stage. They find out, oh, the comics, on, they hear about it. A young comic on stage. You know, they find him. But he's yeah. on the run. It's the exact same thing that you're talking right. about. Interesting. You know, they, they had, these, there were a lot of guys just like Bastille. You're right. There were guys like, oh, I don't want anybody know. Yeah, 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 just, I mean, yeah, yeah, they were just getting by. It was like, uh, what do they call them, itinerant preachers? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. they're like, you know, just kind of town to town shit, do yeah. some damage, get out. Get out. But like at the time, so now you're drinking pretty hard now, right? Yeah, yeah, I was. So that's a, this the beginning of the club thing. And you see, this is how I know you. Like, I only seen you act, I saw your act maybe once. When I was starting out, I think it was at Stitches in Boston. Is that possible? Absolutely. Right. So, like, like I remember seeing you, but, like, when you came in, you, you must have been fucking sober already, but there, you were already sort of mythic in that you were, a, you know, like this fucking old monster <laughs> that fucking hit the wall and was like you were one of the guys because there was a, only a handful of guys that you know that were were those club comics it was like in the sense of like that we heard of like Slayton Jenny yeah. you know you yeah um i mean i mean i know Seinfeld around Dennis Miller was around but there were guys that really worked at Schimmel like there were dudes that were the road guys that fucking you know that stayed there yeah like you guys yeah. stayed there you held yeah. that thing through the whole fucking thing yeah I thought it was early 80s. I was out all the time. I never took a night off. Never. I remember reading an article once Richard Pryor was talking about being, you know, took a, a vacation in Hawaii in the yeah. midst of his thing. And he was there for two days. He goes, I can't take it. I can get back to a crowd. Right. I couldn't take one night off. And you were dating Carol. You were right. married to Carol. Yeah. You yeah. got married. Got married. Carol. Something to do. And that's right. And you guys used to tour together sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> no, you know, it was it was interesting. I mean, yeah. it was it. We would go in. She, I remember the first time we go to Atlanta. She goes, "We're going to Atlanta." She goes, "Oh my god, I've never." Been. She goes, "It's the South." She goes, "You gotta, you gotta cover the whole show." I can only be up there for like and five minutes. She's such a Jewish girl. That's what she said. She goes, "There's no Jews down here. There's gonna yeah. be no Jews down here. Yeah, no Jews." Yeah. So we pull into the parking lot for a hotel. There's a kosher deli right next to the hotel. Oh yeah. I go look. So she gets on stage, and of course, when these comedy clubs opened, there were a lot of Jewish wherever whatever city you're in. Most of the comedy fans, these were hardcore people who were, they were like comedy fans. Yeah. So there was, there were audiences that were packed, a lot of Jewish people. Yeah. So Atlanta, all of a sudden, the crowd was mostly Jewish. There's an old Jews community down there. And as soon as she hit her first reference, they got a big laugh. Yeah. I went, uh-oh, I saw it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so my middle act is now doing 45. <laughs> Did that happen a lot? Oh, yeah. Did you guys fight? Uh, yeah, we fought. Yeah, yeah, we fought. You know, I remember what, Foxworthy has a story. He, he reminded me. He said, I was in the back of the room pacing. Carol's on. And, of course, she's just, and I'll be, he said, I'm back there going, close with it. Close with it. Oh, yeah. You know, she's going, just <laughs> close with it. Here's another big laugh. Close with it. Yeah. She just keeps going. And Foxworthy comes, hey, man, you know, he doesn't even know me. He's kind of like, settle down, man. You know, this, she's, she's, she's going to be good. I said, that's my wife. I'll tell you what I'm, <laughs> that's my wife. I'll, I'll say what I want to say. You know? Foxworthy, before the redneck stuff, was a really good act. 
Yeah. I'm not saying that the redneck thing was bad, but I, I did one of my first weeks middle in or maybe hosting for him in Albuquerque at Laughs. Yeah. And he like he had he had that great bit about like I think it was his dad on the boat that was being on the trailer being pulled by the truck. <laughs> like I I mean he had good yeah. shit. He was a nice guy. Yeah. I think he still is a nice he guy. He is a nice guy. Yeah. He is a nice guy. I mean, you know, he 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 invented a joke for him. Yeah. That a million different ways has been done yeah you know you, you know Refillable. and he put the punchline in front of the setup that's yeah. how good that joke was yeah and it, he didn't yeah. even need the setup really yeah and then like it was such i think vic kenley used to write for him a absolutely bit. Yeah. i wrote a couple of those sure like those guys are like you just fill them up fill them up man yeah 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 so all right so you go do this so what where when do you meet sam when where do you end up in la how does that happen so you're on the road yeah and you're in new york still with carol right right and then you both decide as a did you have a kid? She got yet? she got a pilot. No kid. <laughs> did we have a kid yet? Did you say did we? Don't have you a kid? have a kid? Not with Carol. Oh, okay. No, another one. We took advantage of the laws that were available at the time. Okay, but the, we no. She um uh, got a pilot. Right. A uh, Barry Levinson show called Toast to Manhattan. I think it was. Gilbert Godfrey was on it. Riser was on it. So she got a pilot. So you knew all those guys because they were comic strip acts, right? Absolutely. Right. Or, or improv or catch. Right. You know. Uh, so. Back then, you had to graduate and go to L.A. That was it. You had everybody had. To Are you move working to LA. all the clubs in New York? At that I was time? working them all of them all the time. All right, so she gets a pilot, and she says we got to move to L.A. And I was like, oh, well, they got booze and drugs out there. Let's go. Is she do- drinking with you? Yeah, she would. But she, you know, you, yeah. you can hide. You, you know, and I put a big shadow on, so it's easy to hide in my. You know, like yeah. you can drink and do drugs and not feel like you're an alcoholic when you're with me. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you're also on the road a lot. I'm on the road a lot. Yeah. 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 yeah that's yeah. A planet road. Planet road. That's a whole nother world. <laughs> you know, you yeah. start off and you go, I'm, I'm married now. I'm not going to cheat. Yeah. Then it starts breaking down. Okay. I'm not going to sleep with anybody that she might actually ever meet. Right. You know, and the then it's, it's like, then I'm just, not going to sleep with anybody that it looks too dangerous. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep with anybody in New York. <laughs> then I'm not going to sleep with anybody who she's friends with. Uh-huh. Then I'm not going to sleep with her. Then yeah, it just yeah. kind of narrows it. Right yeah. 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 Yeah, so so we we moved out to L.A., 82. Now, are you getting bitter yet? Not at all. Oh. It was all fun. It was great. Yeah. You know, you go out the road, you feel like a star. You feel yeah. like a rock star. Right. People treat you great. You go into town, all the hippest, coolest people in the town were out there tickets? to see it. Well, they're sold out, so you have the illusion in your mind you're selling out. Right, right, You know, right. you go, ah, they're packed for me. Yeah, right. You know, you, know, you walk in. Because the clubs were just popping. They were just popped. Yeah. Were, you know, the, 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 the promo was a... Eight by ten on the front door, and you're doing some stupid radio show once a week, right? And it's it's packed, yeah, because I'm so good on radio. Sure, yeah, if you yeah. got a handle on that. I'm good on radio. You're not good on radio. I'm good on radio, but I'm saying it didn't matter. Oh. It didn't matter. You know, sometimes it does. You know, it was that's good. one of the only things that can pull them. Sometimes. I loved, I loved it, but they they were just packed. Yeah, it was just a hot thing. It became the hot thing. So you're making money, making money every time you're getting big raises because if you door hold deals. Your, didn't need door deals. They yeah. just were paying more and more. They huh. were keeping us happy, keeping yeah. me happy, yeah. giving you free drugs, paying yeah. you more every time. Uh huh. But once you plant your your ass in in L.A., who you're running with? I met Sam right away over at the comedy store. So this is what year? Eighty two. Oh, so it's Sam like raw Sam. Yeah. Before Big Sam. Yep. So he's just this little fucking unique monster. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and it was fun. We had a lot of fun. So who was around? It was, and it was Sam and Sam. Of course, he had Carla Bow, and those guys were still they were yeah, there yeah, then. Yeah. But I was hanging Riley out. Barber. Riley Barber. I don't remember Riley hanging Richard, out in the comedy store then. No, I'm not sure if he was out there. Hicks then. for a second. Or Hicks had gone back to Texas. By yeah, he then. didn't. He lasted I met like him. a year, right? Yeah, yeah. late a year because I met him down in Austin in like 
around the time around well, he was like a kid. He was a middle act then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was young. Yeah, they brought him out, and I think it got it weird. Yeah, yeah, shit gets weird with Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna hang around Sam for a while. He's gonna, he's only you only got one arc with him. You, you hang with him for a while, and you you feel it coming up, and it's everything's going good, and then you know you're spit out somehow. Yeah, like how long did you run with that? We guy? ran with until I got sober. Then even after that, I'd come and hang out once in a while, but you know, in small doses. On a Sunday night show, we'd come and he'd call me his double agent from God. Oh yeah, and you know sure. he 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 knew I was sober when he when he tried to get sober himself. I was one of the people he was talking to. Oh, before the end, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, he was trying. Mm. He felt like he painted himself into, you know, like all of us do. Like, oh, my God, how am I going to do any new material once I get sober? Well, you mean know? he was barely doing new material? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't, but he didn't realize it. You don't realize it. He knew he painted himself in the corner with a necrophiliac bit. That's what he felt that was like. It. That's what he felt like. How are you going to top that? I saw That's... that thing happen. I was a doorman when he fucking made oh, that thing. Man. I was a doorman at the store when he first started doing the homosexual necrophiliac thing. And it was like, it was like, what is happening? <laughs> This is like the splitting of the atom. <laughs> and no one remembers, but like just to see him laying there and just see him rocking. You, oh, you, what's this? Oh, like that moment. Oh, oh, it never ends. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that when you see him, you can only judge people. That's what always gets me when young people go like, ah, Lenny Bruce, I listen to him. He's not funny. Judge him by what else was going on in comedy at that time. You got to put him in context. Put him in context. And Sam at that time, that you said you had a perfect, splitting the atom. It was like, what? Yeah, he went to a place. Other comics were like, well, uh, "Here's my observation about cocoa puffs." Yeah, you know? he's probably he's relatively forgotten, you know, sure, in terms sure. of big comedy acts. I think he sort of out like once he started doing rock and roll, like he became a little bit of a caricature. But that first record, right. that Manson bit, that that's worth the fucking. That that Manson bit. Glad to see you fuckers can handle your high. <laughs> to erase the entire event just by like minimizing them to a bunch of dumb fucking idiots who didn't know how to do drugs properly. Yeah. To me, was fucking genius. Yes, he was sort of like Howard Beale. Yeah, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Right. He was that aggrieved guy. He was a short, dumpy little balding guy. Yeah. And you go, okay, you can see he's the wounded warrior. Yeah. He's, okay, we That's get it. That's right. He get it. Yeah. But then he became the bully. Then he became the star. He's always kind and of then, a bully. Yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, once yeah. he got that power and that swagger, then he became, you know, then it was like, I'm kicking women back. I'm kicking them back. Right, you know, right. I'm, I'm, you're beating them you're no longer grieved. You're well, a, that's right, because I think in his brain, he naturally had this sort of like, he was going to keep pushing no matter what until he died because he thought he had a ticket in. Well, I don't know. It depends what you believe. Maybe you'll see him up there. I doubt it. He No, that's a difference. He was a believer. Hicks wasn't a believer. But but underneath it all, we, oh, we, used, to, we used to do coke and go through the Bible, Sam and I. Yeah. Because I was raised kind of costume. Fun. Oh, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. <laughs> we, we made it funny, but, you know, it was... Well, he knew that shit. I mean, he a, knew it, man. He knew it better than anybody. Well, I, I think I always that. say that, that, you know, he he thought that as long as he had a second at the end, he could get in. Yeah. He could ask That's what they tell you. Yeah. That's, that's right. He was banking on that. Yeah. He, <laughs> I hope he had that second. I think it sounds like he did. <laughs> Sounds like he had, he had, he had a second. I think he did. He got. I think he was still breathing when they pulled him out of that fucking car. You don't get a corner lot, but you get something up there. <laughs> yeah, you, if you, you want to go right through the whole, you yeah, know, it's yeah. the heaven on earth stuff. You know, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, they were very different comics because like Hicks was different in the sense that you know much more intellectual, but had definitely the same momentum, but was seriously challenging on a lot of different levels. He's, you know, he was a, you know, he was a real thinker. And Sam, absolutely, Sam was like, you know, when you break. Steve Pearl in his infinite fucking weird, uh, you know, wisdom. Uh, his 
the he, broken he, wizard. Right. He 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 said, yeah. Oh yeah, Sam's a genius. Uh, two short screams followed by a long scream. Oh oh oh! Yeah, he's a genius. And I was like, wow, I never broke it down like that. It was sort of a gimmick in a way. Of course but, it was. But but it was. But he did push it, man. And I, you know, and I didn't like him initially. And then when I got to know him, I got sort of sucked in. But like I, I'd never see. You know, I, I saw different sides. We once did a gig UCLA, a local. You know, a couple hundred bucks in town. Yeah, we're driving over to some young guys hired us both out of the store. Yeah. And we're driving over, and Sam's going, you got to close the show. Yeah. Now, Sam was starting to get hot. He was yeah. starting to get the swagger. Yeah. And I said, Sam, I am not closing the show. He said, no, no, no. I, I won't, I'll bomb. These kids are going to hate me. I'm going to bomb, and you'll have no problem following me. And I, I said, he said, look, I tell you what. If it doesn't work out, I'll give you my money, and I'll still buy the drugs. Yeah. If you, if you can't follow me. Trust me. Yeah. I'm not going to throw a tank it, but I'm right. just telling you. And he was right. He got up there, and he did the act they he didn't did. didn't get it, yeah. Nothing, yeah. nothing. And then Sam, because the kid had botched up his intro, he kind of bombed out. Sam then went and introduced me and gave me this, look, you don't like me, you're going to like this. And he gave me a great intro yeah. and a great set. And then a couple of months later, Sam broke. This was like, you know, this happened like, right, like a few months before he broke big. This yeah, happened like, like 87. This, yeah, 80, no, he broke big like 85, summer really? 85. Yeah, the Rodney thing. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, and and. I met him when they, I was there when his HBO special. No, aired. this was before that. Right. This was before, the Rodney thing broke him like overnight. Right. It was, it was, things, it was, it was the first guy I ever saw it like just shot out. Right. But this was like the spring of 85. He comes up to me to the store after he breaks. He said, hey, Rich, I'm going back to UCLA, $15,000. <laughs> and I go back, I just watched, I went back and didn't perform. I go back and I watch from the side. I bet money there were kids in that audience who saw him six months before. Uh-huh. And the standing ovation when he walked out, uh-huh. it just changed. It, the whole the whole timing had changed. The whole thing had changed. The whole you know you got to you got to hit the zeitgeist of America. America got angry the second half of the Reagan administration. Uh-huh. The second Reagan ter- term, they got angry. Yeah. Like they realized it. Well, it's interesting down. too that he knew that there was no second gear. That like. He knew himself enough to know that those kids had not had the experience he had or were going to register the anger that he... Uh, and he yeah. knew that about himself, but he also knew, like, there's nothing I can do. No, no, no. He couldn't... You know, you can't. You can't change who you are. You well, know, that, certain types of comics can gauge. Okay, you can make some adjustments and all that, but you are who you are at a certain point. If you're lucky. I mean, right. some guys, they're, they're just there to pander no matter what. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, got Grocers. Yeah, I mean, but... Grocers, you, what are they selling? I'm selling. Well, yeah, but it, but what it's also buying? like there's a there's an ethic to it that like you know, once you find your your voice, you know you execute it. But ultimately, if it's working, you know you're trying to get as many people to like you as possible or laugh, right? Right. So like, but Sam was was not that guy. See, like most of us, you know, you want you want to connect, you know, and I and you know whether you decide that your tone is angry or what, you want to connect with that, and you don't understand why you're not. And then as you get older, you realize, well, I wasn't. That wasn't really my point of view. I was just uncomfortable and scared and angry or whatever. But Sam knew, like, this is what I do. Usually it doesn't work. It didn't work for years. Yeah. And uh, But I committed to it. And, and and eventually it came around, you know. But most guys are like, I just want to perform. I want to do comedy. I want to get some laughs. <laughs> Sam, I got to assume for a few years when he was closing the Westwood store, didn't give a fuck. No. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then when, but he was starting to get that late night thing that was happening over at the comedy store. 
Right. When does that? He was. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I remember going out yeah. the road once, and I came back, and I went back. You know, because we'd always go over and watch Sam. Monday I nights. Improv. Monday nights. He, Three nights. Every, every night. Every yeah. night he'd go on last. They yeah. put him on last. He wanted to. He, it didn't the matter. Warrior. Four people there. Yeah. He'd do that opening of his. You know. Yeah, yeah. And then. And then I remember coming back one time off the road. What I was, was the up, opening? Look at the, let me see the face. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. You're going to wish the hell you never seen his face before. Yeah, yeah. And um, I came back and the place was packed. And it was like all these hipsters off of Sunset. Sure, you know, it was the like, rock guys. Yeah, you know, everything. Yeah. And it just changed. So where were you at at that time? Working the road. I was and you weren't sober yet? No, I didn't get sober until May of 85. What the so, fuck happened? So what happened with you? I crashed, man. I couldn't, I was just, I was just out in the road and I couldn't, you know what happened? One of the one of the things that got me was yeah, doing everything, everything. A lot of coke, a lot of Jack Daniels, a lot of beer, a lot of anything I get my hands on, mm. anything. And I I got this gig where I was I did the rodeo for the Texas prison rodeo. It was yeah, like they hired me and a young guy named Sinbad Atkins uh-huh. as my opener. Uh-huh. And then I had to drive it through a couple of one nighters in Texas, end up at the comedy workshop in Austin. Sinbad again is the middle, uh-huh. and that. I never bothered about who was opening for me. I'd follow anything. I had that, you know, I'm, yeah. you know I'll kill it. It doesn't yeah. matter what goes yeah. on. Sinbad made me run. He was <laughs> he, he had he had that young enthusiasm, and I was getting bitter and fat and angry, and it wasn't looking good. And, and he, he was and he he was he, running me off the stage. Well, yeah, because he's a riff guy. He would just go up there with that big smile and happy, and he had a big feather boa hanging down, and he had a, a like an orange mohawk. And he's those big MC Hammer jumpsuit pants, yeah, you know yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. And he yeah. was just bouncing around and happy, and they were like happy to have him there. It didn't matter. He, you know, he's like my yeah. friend Bob Nickman calls and, him a charismatician. Yeah, material was irrelevant. Nickman, I know he wrote right. on my show last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and you were, and now, and I'm sitting there back there drinking before I go on and looking at him. Now, and I'm I'm gonna, like, now let's see, let's watch the monster, <laughs> sweaty. <laughs> let's bring up sweaty Rich Eisner. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. It's hot here. Somebody turn on a fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they're like, bring back the the nice guy. Bring back the fun guy. Fuck you. Fuck you. You know Jesus Christ is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. The yeah. truth guy. Yeah, the truth guy. That's it. That's the one thing that Hicks and Kennison fucked up for everybody. It's like, yo, it's too many truth guys now, and they're all telling the same truth. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure it's true, but they're angry about it. Yeah, the truth guy. Just that guy. <laughs> There's a tone that comes with the I, truth. I, guy. I, I totally get it, man. I totally get it. So what do you do? You check in. You what? No, do you do? man. I was like, I, I mean, that just was the first like one of those seeds that was planted. Like yeah. I'm gone. I remember going out with him after you know every every night of the show. I'd be drinking, doing more blow, and I was sitting in a bar one night, and Simba was down the other end of the table, and everybody was down his end of the table, man. And he was telling stories and laughing. He's drinking Coca Cola, and I'm down there going. I can't stay out of the bathroom. I'm I'm just chain smoking, and I I went. It's not that he's young. It's not that he's a black guy. He's not drinking. It just yeah. I looked at him. Went, he's and it's just, it just kind of yeah. It, it, Brett Butler put a seed in my head uh, a few months before because she was sober. Yeah, and she said, you know, you ever think about your drink? Because I'd be coming in the condo every morning, at, like like nine in the morning yeah. or whatever. And and, uh, and I came back and uh, I was sitting at the improv bar. Yeah, and I was drinking every night there. And I, I, I was just, I got to quit drinking. And Eddie, the bartender, sick. He, he sent Mark Schiff down. Yeah, to go get me. So do, do some of this guy. You're, you're not drinking anymore. Yeah, do with him what you do with you. So he twelve stepped you, Schiff. Yeah. Yep, He's a good guy. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. So now th- this is what this is eighty five. Yeah. So here you are, one of the you know biggest working comics in the country, and I have to assume you got you got nothing but comedy. 
See that that's nothing. It. I had See, nothing. That's that's the, the the way. Another way the business changes. Like on some level, you're watching dudes and women get shows, get shots, get deals, and you gotta because you're not getting them. You got to be the uh, fuck that. I'm I'm a comic. <laughs> well, I, I'd done a couple Tonight shows. Sure. I I you know, but I I I'd burn out on one. I did material I wasn't supposed to do. And Jim McCauley Town Corner says, you know, you're not going to get back on, man. I mean, I had to, like, run out of the studio. Why? Because I did material I wasn't supposed to do. You know, you have a set material. So you fucked that up. Yeah. yeah. Say it like yeah. it is. Yeah. You got cocky. Yeah, I got cocky. I was hanging out with Sam too much. And I was uh, like, I don't want to do this. I got to do some edgy stuff. I got to do some edgy. That's how he killed everybody. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. how he killed everybody. He threw a rock off the cliff and I chased it. Well, yeah, but he'd also say, like, you got to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to save you some time, mister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what for life? I get you, you back to Jersey Soul Insurance and get this thing over with. That's it. That was the subtext. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, the Buddha has spoken. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, gonna, I gotta go to the mountaintop faster. It's a shortcut, right? Yeah, yeah. gonna run us out of the business one guy at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that happened. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of fucked up a little. You yeah. Thought. Just there was I didn't get the rehab wasn't like on everybody's. Yeah, you know, I just went to detox to on my couch and sure you went to meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go hanging out with Schiff and he's taking the meetings. Yeah. All right, so what do you do? So what do you now you, I, I, I start you, going up again, but I mean I had a trouble. I mean, Bud kept putting me up. Uh I would I would the throw improv. the mic down, I'd storm yeah. off. Uh sober. I, you couldn't Yeah, handle. sober. I couldn't. I was angry and I couldn't figure out how to get a laugh. I was yeah. really having a hard time. None of the old stuff felt like right. Yeah. And I didn't have anything new. I couldn't write a joke. I thought I was done. And Bud would be like, I'd be, I remember I'd, I'd walk off early and I'd be walking up, Bud goes, see you tomorrow night at 10. I mean, he'd have me penciling in for another good shot. And I'd be like, and uh, uh, I just had a joke come to me, like out of nowhere. I yeah. was I was running. I started running again. A friend said, why don't you try running, you know? And, and I was smoking a lot. And then I was just smoke and run. I'd, you know, run a few yards and stop and have a cigarette and run. And a joke, you know, one of those jokes, it just lands. Just lands. That's how I do it. You know, and then and I took that up and I got a laugh and it kind of broke me clear. And I was like. Landing yeah. jokes is the only way. It's the yeah. best. Yeah. That's because it. It just drops in. Yep. You can't sit there with a pad. You just kind of wait for it. Don't know. Sometimes you get funny parts and they work, but you're still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like one day. <laughs> one day. The ending will land. Yeah, of this yeah, joke. Yeah, I'm not one of those guys who go. Let me write. I'm going to sit down and write ten mailbox oh, I jokes. Do I can't it. do that. I can't either. They have to come Never. like you said. They have to just land parts, parts. Well, put I believe them it's like if you are the kind of guy where you're on stage and you got a good enough premise to get a laugh, but you don't know where it's going to go. That's just who you are, and and that's and that's how you create. You corner yourself. You're up there, and you got to be funny, yeah. and you don't know where that's going to come that's from right. or what it's going to look like. And then once most of it's delivered, you can finesse it. Yeah, the ego will push something out. You right. Know, if you, right. If you and work then, on the daytime, at least you'll have a good idea what you're going to do when you get That's right. And then, the, yeah, the ego will, right, out of, out of self-protection will be funny. And then, like, once you get all the pieces going, then you can do your work. Right. Then you kind of repetition, put things. Yeah. In. Good. Yeah. So, so you figured it back out. Yeah. I yeah. got back out and started doing it again, and it got better. It was better. I was better. And then the, and then the boom busted? Yep. Left me up on the shore. Yeah, yeah, but it was I got got a good run with it though. I had like I got like five development deals. I was right at the perfect time when I got sober. It was the perfect time for all of a sudden started TV development deals were being oh that's right out like yeah. crazy. A lot of, of two hundred thousand dollar deals. I, so I got right. in on on that. I got deals. I was still working the road. Then I had these deals, and I'd come back and do a pilot, and that wouldn't go. And then I go back out the road again. They go, you got another deal, 
And well, there were like four what was, networks. What was mainly the 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 premise? The premise for my sitcom for you guys? Yeah, for yeah. You. It, was, it was it was like you know he's a he's a married guy uh, can't you know it's like I was married guy. Yeah, I was I was double developed behind Tim Allen and right. other people. You know that yeah. that that that's what my premise was. was right. You know he's a, a white married guy with young yeah, kids or yeah, whatever yeah. or some variation of that. And nothing took. Nothing took. But you shot pilots. I shot pilots. So you made some money. I made a lot of money. It was good. It was good. And, and I was you, still doing stand-up on the road all the time. Saving your money? No. <laughs> that, yeah. just, because I, just because I wasn't using it for drugs and alcohol didn't mean I knew how to blow it. Yeah, yeah. So, but you and Carol- I bought a house. No, look, I did buy a house. I bought things. I mean, you know- When did Carol and you end? Uh, not long after I got sober. Uh-huh. And then, but you remarried? Yeah. Yeah, like uh, 89. Uh-huh. And yeah. you had a kid? Got three. Really? Three, yeah. And that marriage is no more? No more. Hmm. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. I thought I'm done. I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah, are you? <laughs> yeah, I don't want... Because once you get the you three, got, man, then it's like, you know, well, you doesn't got, matter. Not three to eight to, doesn't matter. And you got three kids, so you're never done. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> They're not off the payroll. None of them are off the payroll. <laughs> Good for... There you go. Yeah. Look what you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good kids though yeah good kids all right good they are good i i run with my oldest daughter every day and uh we have fun oh great it's great that's fucking sweet man it's a good story so but but okay <laughs> but ultimately after the arc you yeah. know because like i remember like i'll tell you it was it was hard for me to 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 watch you in montreal that time when was it montreal or portland was it portland wow I you was know, thinking about that. And like, you know, because I knew, who was it? Jordan was doing a movie. That's right. What was that movie? It was called I Am Comic. Right. The and documentary. You were, and you were the threat. I became the threat. You know, he, he was you, like, go back on stage. He needed a storyline. We were just interviewing comics and he saw me looking with lust on comics on stage. He yeah. said, won't you go back and try it again? Right. And, you know, he pointed the camera at a narcissist. What else was going to do? What could I do? No, I know. But, like, I respected it. Yeah. But, like, there was a moment there where I saw you backstage at one of those dumb little fucking venues. And it wasn't an easy venue. It wasn't a comedy venue. I think there was a... a it was leak, a garden. It was a, a garden. There was a leak. You were in a garden. Right. And, you know, and I, and I like... What, 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 what I found um, hard was that, like, you know, this was, like, really for you, you know, and where you are in your life, it's a nothing gig. But but it meant everything in that moment, and you were fucking scared. Oh, I was. Yeah, I, and it I was just hard. come back. And I, I didn't know. Back. I didn't know. You know, I wanted to say something, but there was nothing I could say. Oh man, there were so many parts in place. First of all, I didn't know how big you were. Those people were all there to see you. Were they? they? Were, oh my God, Mark! I, I felt it. I bombed so bad. I mean, it was not. It, but I were, wasn't headlining. It was just you. Know, you were you were up last. You oh, were up last. Yeah, and. I didn't. I was so out of it, so no, not, not relevant yeah. that I didn't know what was going on. And then later that week, I saw you do the podcast live, and right. I got it. But I didn't know. I mean, I knew who you were, right? And I didn't realize. So I was, and plus my, you know, it's like one of the times I realized that my, you know, it's like my style was so eighties, right? It was so eighties, and this was this was two thousand ten around then, around, Probably, around yeah, that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your style was the new style. Uh huh. And so it wasn't. I just looked older. I sounded older. I performed older. It was like some guy in my era coming up and doing a Catskills act, or in my era <laughs> no, coming up on stage. Cool. No, no, it really was. It uh -huh. was like some guy doing an act from thirty years before. Yeah. And so I didn't realize it at the time. I look back on it and realize that was part of it. 
But I was also just back new, so I didn't right, have any. I, know. I didn't have any confidence. You're right. right. I was completely. I was. And it, like it was weird because I respected you, and I like I, I I felt like I was immediately sort of codependent feeling. Like, oh, that, well, yeah, yeah, you could be yeah. all right, man. You know, like, I, I remember doing it and and trying really, really trying to crank it up yeah, the old yeah, style. Right. Just to perform, it, just performing these bits, and they weren't buying them. I'm performing. You know, there's nothing worse when you're really trying. But it wasn't a fucking empty. It wasn't no, no, a real bomb. No, no, it wasn't. You but you know, you didn't. You know what I mean? It wasn't a couldn't silence bomb. But I couldn't get it cranked up. Yeah, yeah. And and I could feel him, and and then you walked up, and I remember saying this: you pulled the stool up, yeah, and you sat down and you talked to them. And I go, and you it was so intimate, and I and you just destroyed. It. And it was like it was so casual. And I go, oh my god, man! I was like I was setting myself on fire and shoot myself out of a cannon. And they're like looking at their, their watches, you know. But and that took me years to sit. No, down. no, no, no. I get it. I get it. No, no. I didn't say you got yeah. that overnight, right? But you. That's but but I realized I went. I said, oh, this is the new way. This is. It's like when so, the evolution of comedy, it's just a constant evolution, right? It's a constant change. Well, I think like, but you know, in my mind, I mean, I don't feel like the comedy is any, any different in the sense that like, you know, I go up at the store and I think that alt comedy was sort of a misdirection in, in, in how it was packaged. Because really sure. the guys that ultimately make it are real comics. You know, know what, you know what I mean? Right. So like, like in my mind, just and and it's not, I'm not, this is an ego talking, like. I knew back in the day, dude sat down. You know, like Shelly Berman sat down. Yeah. Bill Cosby yeah. sat down. That's right. And like, and I'm like, this is part of the history. So it's a weird thing that I do agree that I make a room pretty intimate. But like sitting down for me was like some sort of, I, that was me being like old school. <laughs> I didn't think it, you know, I, I never thought, I, I this woman sent me pictures from 35 years ago. She yeah. found all these pictures. Yeah. Because I'm doing this book. Yeah. And so- she she did the cover of it. We reached out to get her permission to do use her picture in the cover. And then she goes, I found all these other pictures. There's pictures of me sitting on a stool at yeah. Yuck Yucks. And I sat, I, was, I forgot that I actually would do that too. Yeah. But I, it just, something I did. Well, that's the comedy boom. It's right. like, I was a fucking, you. I was a pacer. I never knew how to fucking, I could never stand still at a mic stand. Yeah. I always took it out. Right. But like, you know, you felt like you had to do that. Yeah. You know, there were guys that, you know, you'd fucking walk the stage and you'd fucking lean in and do all that shit. <laughs> and what I started doing, though, when I, when I was tanking, the, it used to be the only reason I'd sit down was when I was tanking because I didn't want them to think it bothered me. So if I was oh, sitting down. You're kidding me. No. If I was sitting down, it was because, like, I'm like, I'm not going to fucking freak out. I'm eating it and I'm going to, it looks like I'm going to have to. So <laughs> I'm going to sit down and just. Write this out. Oh my Cause, god! Because I didn't want them to think I and was. And that's how you got out. to that. Kinda, yeah. Wow, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that. I no, that's, no, of course not. But that's I, that's interesting. No, I, I like that. I love that. How somebody gets to their style. <laughs> yeah. How do they develop it? But it was so clear that night, and it was really impressive to me. And then, of course, I saw, like I said, I saw the podcast being done. I wasn't aware of the podcast sure. phenomenon. Yeah. I was completely. I've been out of it. I mean, yeah. when I was out of it. I was really out of doing stand-up. I wouldn't watch it. I had this bitterness towards it almost. You How'd know, you get rid of that? Coming back and doing it. And I kept doing it and kept doing it. And, you know, um, I just took all these little one-nighters around yeah. town and yeah. open mics and doing anything I could and going up and, and, and found it again and started doing new material. Yeah. But I was just doing it the way I do. I still right. perform the way sure, I perform. Sure, sure, But saying new things and getting honest in my way. Okay. And it was great. And, yeah. I, and I'm back. I feel like I, you know, I perform. I, I love it. I love it. That's great. I love, it. I love it. It's a fucking great story. Yeah. And and 
Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm fucking. I'm. I'm happy because I was actually mad at Jordan. I wasn't mad at you for putting me up. I was like, "Why are you doing that to him?" Like, there's other <laughs> ways to do this, yeah. and he's a little like like that. Yeah, like yeah. You now let's see what happens. I'm oh like, no, no, fuck? man, you're tr- so true. And so like, true. And it is like, like you know, if he wanted to do this, he should do it on his own pace. What do you fucking, you know? Because he yeah. wanted exactly what happened to happen. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we when, in the in the movie. Yeah. When he he says we're going to take you to first place, he picked that place, Liquid Zoo, because he knew it was a shithole. He knew it was a bad thing. Mm. And so let's your first time go back, go there. Yeah. And then of course, then he goes one night. He goes, hey, let's go down and interview some guys. At J. Anthony Brown's place down in South Central. We get down there, there's nobody to interview all of a sudden. Then he goes, Why don't you go up and do some time? Oh, motherfucker. I knew I was going up to go over to Bar. Yeah, we wire. should make him do his old fucking act. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get his goddamn big feathered hair back and dumb shirts. Let him do. <laughs> where's that? Where's the, where's the movie of making Jordan do his fucking old act? <laughs> And he has to dress like his old headshot. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the deal there. But he did. He made a couple good movies. Yeah. I'm not going to begrudge him that. But there was always something like, "I just back off a minute, yeah. relax." <laughs> I, that's it. Isn't touching to me that you had that kind of empathy for me, which it's really pretty amazing, really, because <laughs> yeah, we didn't know each other that well. Yeah, but like I'm, I'm, you know, look, I, you know, all you guys, whether I knew you or not, like I feel kinship. You know, even last night I was at the store and, you know, I walk in the main room and Joey Gaynor's on stage. You know, it was just like, I don't know that guy that well, but I saw him trying to churn out what he was churning out. And there's just something about comics like this is my fucking life. This is my community. I don't dismiss anybody. Yeah. I'm more likely to dismiss someone my own age or younger than one of you guys. That's interesting. Because now I'm an old guy. So I get to do that thing. I got to fight with that. You know, fuck this kid. So... (laughs) But you guys aren't going to take a hit. You're alive. Yeah. Yeah. So now now the book... um, So was this cathartic? Was this good? Yeah, it was great. It was great. I got got a chance to say everything I wanted to say about stand-up comedy and about my 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 run through it in the 80s especially is yeah. that gonna be an online thing it's gonna be it'll be kindle but also be available on amazon barnes and noble well it's great talking to you rich mark i appreciate it and thank you thank you it was fun okay that's our show i've got to uh i'm gonna go take a nap may i will i play a little guitar i wasn't feeling it but i might just do it anyways i gotta play low because because i'm recording this late at night don't forget the latest mark and tom show is up now if you missed it it's the episode right before this one in your podcast feed and you can always get it at wtfpod.com powered by squarespace let me see if i can get some sort of guitar thing going here
Boomer Lee.